you know, we're, uh, I love you so much. We're in, uh, we're in the, the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. For those of you that are visiting with us, how have you guys been? I hardly say hello anymore. I get to, good to see you, buddy. Um, I miss all of you. I don't get to see you as often as we used to. I have to get at the front door or something again and, uh, and visit with you. Um, for those of you that are visiting with us, thanks. Thanks for being here. Um, we have had the privilege of, of, of watching this, this church kind of flourish and, uh, and grow. And it's been such a blessing. And that you would come and visit with us, uh, we are honored. We pray that you have a wonderful uh, morning with us uh, here at the church. Uh, for those that are here all the time, it's hard for me to put into words how much I love you and how much I care for you and, and just thank God for you. Um, if ever you get an opportunity to come on a Saturday night, which I'm not asking you to not come on Sunday, Saturday night is, I'm, because Saturday night is so much fun. It's, um, it's almost a more relaxed type of atmosphere, if you would, um, but it's similar to what we do here. It's the same message and all of that. And uh, it's so much fun. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful way for me to start the, the weekend, uh, to have uh, service on, on last evening. And as usual, we had, a, we had a ball. We just really had a great time. Although the subject matter is not, um, it's a little difficult. It, it's, it's, it's deep. And um, I want to prepare your heart for it because there's, uh, the Bible has much to say about a lot of things. Um, but anyways, last night, the weekend before, there were some people that came up afterwards, and um, in, in particular, one person prayed to receive Christ. Another person said that, wow, uh, just felt like the Lord was just speaking right at them. If you remember at all, what we talked about last week was uh, about the hypocrisy and how the Lord wanted to cease all of that by, by making an example out of uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Now, as we've already mentioned, it wasn't their money that bothered the Lord. What, what, bothered, what bothered the church and what bothered him was their, their, their hypocrisy. Their, their wanting to be something that they were not. And, and, and you see, I, I can see where that would offend our Lord because he has gifted you and me in different fashions. He's not made all of us the same way. In fact, we're quite different. And, and, and he loves, I think, that diversity amongst us. I believe he loves the difference because on, on some ways there'll be some of us that are a little more outgoing than others and, and there is a person that needs someone that's outgoing that, that, that will really lead them towards Christ. But there are some people out there that just dislike people who are outgoing and they want someone that's a little laid back. And for those of you that are laid back, you're the very perfect person that the Lord has planned for these people to introduce yourself to them and to have them come to know the Lord. And, and, and so this last night when, when, when these people were coming, uh, uh, actually it wasn't last night, it was the weekend before, they came and they, they felt like the Lord was just changing their lives. And the beauty of, his, the beauty of it is, is that they saw it was Him, not someone trying to contrive what we were trying to say out of the Bible, but that actually God was moving in their lives to change them. And um, a few of them came and said, you know, I'm done with this hypocrisy stuff. I, I want to mean business to the Lord. 
Well, as the Bible will do, when, when, when those things are taught, and when it's taught hopefully correctly, the following example is what will take place within anyone's life. And that is, there becomes a, a, a need for us to understand that, that with this commitment will come difficulties. It's a promise. The very one thing that our Lord assured his followers when he left was that they were going to go through trials. He assured them that they would go through difficulties and persecution, just as he was persecuted. Look with me, please, at John chapter 15, just for a moment before we go into the book of Acts. We're going to look at just one verse in John 15, and then we'll look at John chapter 16 in one verse. But the one thing that I want to kind of solidify in our minds is that just because we might be going through difficulties that our Lord has, um, has given up on us or is angry with us. No, the promise in the Bible says in John chapter 15 and verse 20, Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you. A slave, John 15, 20, I'm sorry. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now look at chapter 16 and verse 2. He also said that they will be outcasts within the society in which they live. They will be cast out of the synagogues, meaning they will be a, a loss of their tradition, a loss of their faith, a loss of their heritage, a loss of their family ties would be gone. And on top of that, he makes this promise. In John chapter 16, too, he says, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But he says, an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think they are offering service to God. In other words, from those that, that do great harm to those that follow after Jesus Christ, they'll think that they're doing a wonderful service unto God. If you go back to, to the book of Acts and you jump ahead to the ninth chapter, we'll see that that is exactly what took place. You see, this is not a promise that most believers eagerly claim that we'll be persecuted, that we'll go through trials. It is not a promise that most churches will teach. But it is, it is a, a fulfillment, persecution and trials, that is just as certain as any other of our Lord's divine promises. And so we need to understand that. We need to understand that as we walk into this faith that we come to. Because what it is, and I'm going to tell you about John in a moment, I mean Acts chapter 9 in a moment. What it is that we would love to do at this church is to make people that really understand what they believe in and really stand for their faith. But the moment you do that, there will come trials your way. And that's what I want to teach you today. I, I want to teach you that so that when the trials come, you and I won't turn tail and run. That we'll be in this thing called Christianity our faith for the long haul. 
All along I've been saying, and it's becoming more and more apparent in my mind, why I believe the Lord had me say for weeks now. I've said to you, and you've heard me, I do not care how you've come to know Jesus Christ. You've heard me say that. What is the thing that I care about you and I doing? How we what? How we finish. It is my deepest desire that you and I walk with the Lord all the days of our lives. And unless we're taught correctly from the Word of God, when trials hit, we're going to think, oh my gosh, what am I doing here? I've had it better where I used to be. I might as well just chuck this all in. Remember the eagerness of Paul before he was Paul when he was called Saul? He desired to take every Christian into captivity and kill them if possible before he got saved on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now Saul, what had just taken place was they just killed one of the disciples of the Lord. And Saul, it says in chapter 9, verse 1, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked for letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way was what they called Christians in those days, whether they be men or women, if he found them, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Later in Paul's life, he wrote these words. I would love for you to turn to Matthew. I'm gonna, I, 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 on the board we have 2 Timothy 3.12. If you're, if you're quick and you can find these places in Scripture real fast, turn to it if you wish. <clears throat> and then we'll turn <clears throat> shortly thereafter to Matthew and uh, take a look at that place. But Paul wrote these words in Timothy about persecution. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, he says, will be what? Persecuted. And that's a promise out of the Word of God. You cannot read it any differently. You can't sweep it away and say, well, no, not me. No, no. All who are... All of us who desire to live godly. And that's the purpose of the Rock Community Church. Not to play church. Not to be one of these churches in the community that entertains the masses. We want to be a church that equips you and me. Because let's face it. We look around this world in which we live. And these are troubling times. There needs to be people who understand their faith. And who are willing to stand up for what they believe. And so he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, that person's going to be persecuted. There's a theme that runs throughout Scripture. Matthew chapter 5. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. The theme is this. Everyone will suffer to one degree or another. There's no escaping that. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, and verse 45, Look, it says that God causes, God causes His Son to rise on the evil as well as on the good. It goes on to say in that same verse, and He sends rain on the righteous just as He would the unrighteous. 
In other words, the theme that runs throughout Scripture is that all people will be blessed and all people will have difficulties. Yet, Christians, we are told from Scripture, have the honor of suffering for the cause of Christ. Peter teaches, let me read it to you, and then please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 again. Let me read you 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. He says, What credit is there if when you sin and you are harshly treated and you endure it with patience? No, he says, But if when you do what is right and you suffer for that and you patiently endure it, Peter says, This will find favor with God. Now, as I told you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, I want you to know that this was, in preparation, the hardest message that I've ever given to this date to the church. Reason being, I, I fail on almost every account. I have difficulty with trials. I have difficulty with persecution. My nature is, I want everyone to like me. And if, if that's not happened, even close... And it's, and, it's, and it's kind of a burden upon me. Persecution, trials, difficulties. I don't handle them well. And I'm asking the Lord, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Where am I failing? Instead of asking the correct question, and that is, allow me to handle this, Father. Let me go through it for your glory. I haven't, I haven't arrived there yet. I try. I really do. I start off with a real good intention. Something happens. A bump in the road. And, and so when I was studying this week, it was, it was like, um, it would, you know what it would be like? It would be like me going into the office, and, and, and uh, Debbie might like this, uh, saying, let me fix all the computers. I don't know one. I don't even know how to turn them on. How am I going to fix them? So I stand before you and I say, let me teach you about how to handle persecution. I don't even know how to turn that, that knob on yet. I'm learning just as you are. The only thing that I might have is I'm in it for the long haul. There's nothing, at least to this date, that's going to make me turn tail and run. I want to walk with my Lord. I want to finish strong. I do. I want that. And so what Jesus taught in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 is this about persecution. What I'm doing is laying the groundwork. I'm laying the foundation for you and me to see there is trials that will come our way. There are trials that will come our way. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed, blessed, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Because, he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, he says in verse 11, are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, he says. And be glad, because he says, your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
as we go through this lesson, I want you to, I want you to think with me of the admiration that we ought to have for those of the first century Christians. You see, they held tough for you and for me. All that we have, all that we know about our Lord has been passed down to us by them and the next generation and the next generation. And instead of being flippant about what we are receiving from the Lord, it is my deepest desire as a church that we take seriously the orders that we have been given by God. That we be a group of people, if no one else... I know there's many more, but if no one else, we be a group of people who stand strong in our faith, regardless what might come our way. So Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, don't think it's unusual that you should be going through some suffering. Everyone does it. He says in 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But he says, to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Give me a break. That's a hard thing to learn. So that also, he says, at the revelation of his glory, you might rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled, he says, for the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He does give this warning, though. He says, make sure none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. But glorify God in this name. Ends up saying in verse 19, we are always to do what is right. That's, that's the bottom line. The bottom line is for you and me to understand the word of God and to do what is right. And so churches that are not teaching this, but teaching ph- philosophical ideas about Christianity, are really not teaching you and me to do what is right. This is what will teach you and me what is right. And so, with that in mind, with that the groundwork of today's message, I want you to read with me from verses 17 to verse 28. It says, the high priest, we're in Acts chapter 5, please forgive me. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. It says, the high priest rose up along with all of his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and they put them in a jail, a public jail. But, verse 19, an angel of the Lord during the night opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go your way, stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. And upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest and his associates had come, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel. And they sent orders to the prison house for them, the apostles, to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison. 
And they returned and they reported back in verse 23 saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now, verse 24, When the captain of the temple guards and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence because they were afraid of the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, verse 28, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. When I came to verse 28, I thought, how much do they hate Jesus Christ? They can't even say his name. Do you see that? Twice it says in verse 28, this man... This person. They won't even utter his name because of their hatred towards him. I thought, how amazing. How amazing. The Lord gave them every opportunity to know and to believe in him. And their jealousy, as it says in verse 17, were so filled with jealousy, they could not look clearly at this one whom is called Jesus. They don't even call him by his name. Well, we do here. And we want to know about him. So let's pray and ask our Lord to teach us. This is a, a heavy lesson, but it'll do all of us good if we'll listen. Dear Father, when I say if we'll listen, God forbid that we would listen to me. I want us to hear your heart. I want us to be able to capture, Father, what you're saying to each of us individually. I know you did some work on me last night, and I'm praying that you'll do more even today. As I listen to your words, as I try to grasp this whole idea of persecution and trials and, and difficulties that come because of our faith in you, it is my deepest prayer, Father, that you would hide me behind the, the wonders of what we've just read and and what we're about to study, and that we would, you would do, Father, what you claim that you will do out of the book of Psalms, and that is that you would open up our eyes, open up our hearts, dear Lord, open up our minds, that we might behold wonderful things from your law, your word, that you would, as you did two weeks ago, or a week ago, I guess, on a Saturday evening and a Sunday morning, you would penetrate the hearts of people who were investigating and, 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 and wondering what is it that you're saying to their heart and they came to realize that they need to be serious with you. I pray that all of us would come to that realization. There's none of us that are serious enough that we can't get even more serious about our love for you. And so, Father, do open up our hearts and our eyes and our minds so that we might behold what you would have to say to us today. I pray these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I told him last night, 
If they wanted to listen in, that's their business, but this was for me. <laughs> I kind of say the same thing to you. This, this message is something that I must comprehend. It is a, it is, it is a necessity for me to, to be able to function as a man, as a Christian man. I must understand these principles. I think it's true for all of us, to be honest with you. Now, in verses 17, 18, and 19, the religious leaders of Jerusalem were so angry over the, the apostles' refusal to, to obey their threats, to not preach in this man's name anymore. They are upset that they have commanded them to stop filling Jerusalem, as they said, with this message of their fault concerning the death of Jesus Christ. And on top of that, the apostles' growing popularity had to just really irk them. No end. I mean, here they are. These people are, are, as we've learned last week, they are held amongst the community in high esteem. People don't want to associate with them. And we learned last week the, the reason that people didn't want to associate with them is they were fearful if they were to come into the church and have some secrets in there that they didn't want to tell someone that they too might drop dead like Ananias and Sapphira. And so they were, they were concerned about hanging with them, but they had such respect for them. So the apostles and their growing popularity made the Jewish authorities even more angry, more jealous, as verse 17 tells us. And so in verses 17 and 9 through 19, verse 18 specifically, instead of arresting just Peter and John, uh-uh, they arrest all of them now. In verse 18, as you can see, it says they laid hands on the apostles. That meant all of them. And they threw them in jail. And yet, what we learn in verse 19 is that God miraculously frees them with an angel, by the way who then orders them in verse 20. Now get this. Don't just read it and not think about it. He says to them in verse 20, after he releases them, I want you to go and I want you to stand and I want you to speak to the people in the temple and tell them what? The whole message of this life. I came upon that and a bunch of things just jumped all over me. Number one is pastors. If you're listening, teachers, if you're listening, church members, Christians, are we to do anything less than to teach the whole counsel of the Word of God? We have been given those orders. And we have no right to water it down. We have no right to make it easy for the people, you and me, to comprehend that's God's business. He'll make you and me comprehend we're just to know what is said so that we have a, an ability to comprehend. We are to teach the whole message of the Word of God. But even more interesting, as he tells them, I want you to go back into the garden, I mean into the temple, and I want you to preach the whole message. And, and I don't know about you, but had I been there, I might have said, wait, let's talk this through. 
They just arrested us. We were just there. Let's back off a little bit here. Let's not put so much pressure on ourselves. They're already angry with us. Let's let this blow over a little bit. You hear none of that. Go, stand, and speak in the temple. And tell the people the whole message of this. I want you to notice something about this. What the angel commanded them to do, a commandment from God, if they followed it, would end up in their being beaten, maybe killed. Look at verse 33. We'll get to it next week. It says, when they heard this, they are the uh, religious leaders. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they were intending to slay them. They wanted to kill the apostles and, the, and all Christians at that point. They wanted to do them in. Now, if this strikes you as odd, that an angel, as a command from God, would tell them to go somewhere, do something that's going to end up getting you beaten, if not maybe killed, that's probably because you and I have been taught an incorrect idea of theology. It's been taught amongst most most churches today, so don't feel so badly. Most churches want to say, if you're obedient, if you walk with the Lord, that inevitably will lead you to a problem-free, blessed, perfect existence. You know, that's the myth for a lot of churches about salvation. You come to Jesus Christ, and everything's going to be fine and dandy. Bed of roses. They don't tell you about the thorns. They don't tell you about the, the difficulties that come your way. I've heard it over and over again. You come to Christ and your life will be right, you know, just perfect. That's not what the Bible teaches, not even close. And as we noted earlier, a serious student of the Word of God understands that obeying God can result in pain and suffering. But to these first century believers, this church that we are looking here at the book of Acts, not even the threat of death itself would stop them. As we saw in verse 33, we just read. They wanted to slay, they wanted to kill them. Nor did a beating dampen their enthusiasm. Look at verses 40 to 42. You want to see something that will kind of blow you away. After it says they were listening, they meaning the, uh, the religious leaders, they were listening to what Gamaliel had to say. Gamaliel was saying to them, look, if these guys are of God, we better leave them alone or we're going to find ourselves fighting against God. That was great advice. So it says in verse 40, they took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they couldn't help themselves. They flogged them in order for them to speak no more in the name of Jesus. And then they released them. They had to beat them. But look what the disciples do. Look what the apostles do in verse 41. They went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. How are you going to stop these guys? You can't. Look what they do in verse 42. Every day 
every day in the temple and from house to house. They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You see, nothing was going to stop their enthusiasm. I told you earlier, we owe them a great debt of gratitude. Because they wouldn't stop you and you and you and you and I, we know the Savior. They didn't turn tail and run. They finished the race that was laid before them that God had for them and that went through the persecution for our benefit. We have to do the same. There's a generation of young people that are following after us, should the Lord tarry, that needs to know what we know. They need to have a church like we have. They need to be in a place where they're not just getting flowery ideas about spirituality, but they're really knowing the hardcore truth of what the Word of God is saying. Because of persecution, you and I cannot turn tail and run. We've got to stand strong, just as they did in the first century. Now, I want you to see something that made me smile. Verse 19. Verse 19 simply says, An angel of the Lord, during the night, opened the gates of the prison and took them out. Why is that humorous? Also, it shows God's patience. But more is humor. Let me tell you why. It is tremendously ironic. You know why? The Sadducees were the sect that was taking care of this. And the Sadducees, one of their tenets of their belief is they denied the existence of angels. I think God said, we could do it with an earthquake, but let's really tick them off. Let's send an angel. And I don't think God thinks that way, but that's what I would have done. Let's send an angel. Let me tell you the underlying purpose, I believe. I believe having some sort of grasp upon our God is that I believe he personally sends an angel to free the the apostles to give the religious leaders of that day yet another opportunity to see and believe and repent. But what do they say? Oh, look what they say. Look at verse uh, verse 24. When the Verse 24, are you there? When the captain of the temple guards and the chief priests heard these words, in other words, an angel came somehow, they're free, they were greatly perplexed about them, so as what would come of this? Instead of saying, here's what, here look, instead of saying, where am I missing it? Where am I going wrong? They're thinking, what's going to come of this? They're thinking about, what is this going to mean to us in the community? And they're always looking out there. How can we, how can we fix it out there instead of saying, What do I need to do to get better here? I must be missing something. God is doing miracle after miracle after miracle. And I'm missing it. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's not them. They don't say that. They don't say that. I believe God gave them a wonderful opportunity to trust and believe in Him again. But again, they miss it. And so in verses 21 through 25, before they were, the Sadducees, before they were even aware that the apostles were released, the apostles were back preaching in the temple at daybreak, as it says in verse 21. In verse 23, what we saw was the captain reports this. Look, 
He says in verse 23, We found the prison house locked quite securely. And we found the guards standing at the doors. In other words, they didn't see anyone come in or anyone go out. But when we had opened up, we didn't find anyone in there. It was empty. You know, that's the same kind of miracle that happened to Jesus Christ on the, on the resurrection. When Peter and John finally got to the tomb, what they saw was the, the stone was rolled away. But let me tell you, what I told you then, I tell you again today, that stone was not rolled away to let Jesus Christ out. He was out long before that. That stone was rolled away to do what? Let them in to see that he wasn't there. In the same case, these doors are still locked to show the, the leaders that there is a miracle going on here. The doors did not need to be opened for them to be freed. The difficulties that you and I are going through, if we can make this connection, does not necessarily have to be unlocked for us to understand freedom. You catch that? You don't have to be out of your trials to be free. Now, although the angel's command in verse 20 seems to be a little careless, after all, they have just been thrown into prison for, for going there and preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. Nonetheless, the apostles did not argue, nor did they hesitate to obey his command. They did just as they were asked. Immediately, they chose to obey. Immediately, they left the consequences to God. Immediately, they had the courage to do exactly what they prayed for. Remember in chapter 4? Look back. Four, verse, chapter 4, verse 29. They said, Lord, remember? It says, take note of their threats. In other words, Take note of what's going on here. But give me the courage. What is it that you and I are going through? There's nothing wrong with you and I asking the Lord, take note of this, please. It's killing me. Please take note of it. But give me the courage to go through it. Give me the ability to deal with it. Stop. Letting it drive me mad. Give me the courage. I think he'll answer that prayer. I'm betting my life on it. I believe the Lord wants to give us peace. He might not want to take us out of the trial. But he wants us to have the courage to go through it. There's a tremendous difference in balance between the apostles and the religious leaders. What you see is evident on the pages. I'm just going to point it out, but you already recognize it. It seems to me the religious leaders are, are dead set on winning respect for themselves, whereas the apostles are dead set on bringing respect to their Lord. That's what you and I ought to live for. You see, it was the jealousy of the Sadducees. They were filled. The Bible says in verse 17, they were filled with jealousy. That jealousy drove them to hatred 
and blindness of their own sin. Instead of seeing, what's going on here? What am I doing wrong? They're trying to think, how can we fix this? So the people won't notice. But on the bottom line is, as I close, I want you to think about this. Don't forget what we're seeing here. The apostles, as far as we have read so far, have experienced miraculous powers. They were healing everyone they came in contact with. For goodness sakes, people were laying sick people on the sidewalks with just the hopes that Peter's shadow might touch them and they would be healed. Miraculous power. Great, tremendous boldness. Had no care for their own lives. No care for their own bodies. They had the boldness to preach the word of God. And to top that all off, they had experienced firsthand the awesome, miraculous powers and presence of God, not only in their lives, but in their church. Yet, yet, they, the apostles and the early Christians, were not freed from hatred. They were not freed from persecution. They were not freed from trials. On the contrary, they were arrested, they were thrown in jail, they were slandered by community leaders, they were beaten. So what do we see? Well, I think it's evident to us. Our faith in God does not make us trouble-free. We'll all have some rain, and we'll all have some sunshine. It'll fall on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. It'll fall on the good as well as the evil. But if you and I grow in our faith, grow in our trust in God, then our faith in Him will make our troubles seem less frightening and our prayers will give us the confidence to go through. There is no guarantee. I've had too many people come to me and praying for someone in their family, somebody for 20, 30 years. There's no guarantee that it'll go away tomorrow. There is a guarantee. If we really understand what the Lord wants to do in our lives, there is a guarantee that we will have the confidence to go through whatever it is we're going through. That He'll take us. And He'll lift us above the storm. Now, for me it seems like every once in a while, I go boom, 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 and then get back up again. And I realize it's my fault. The Bible says, listen, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. He'll exalt you at the proper time. He'll take care of this at the proper time. In the meantime, cast all your cares upon him because he does care for you. Which gets us back to the original point. It gets us back to the very essence of what we've been trying to learn in chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5 up to this point in the book of Acts. What we've learned is there has been a great, great, um, I can't think of the word, a great trying to get the people to have love for one another. Trying to be them unified. That was a pretty poor sentence. They had things in common. You know why? Because there were many of them there going through difficulties. And they needed one another. 
True Christianity is not an island. Never has been, never will be. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together to, to worship the Lord. We need one another. You desperately, I desperately, we need, need desperately to be in small groups. You see, you can get lost in this place. Even with just this many here, we can get lost in here. And we can walk away from here just beaten up and, and no one be no, any the wiser. It, it's a smart group of people who gather together with four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people, have a small group, a study, so that your friends in that small group can lift you up and encourage you, can, can, can know when things are not going correctly for you and can really be there to encourage you. We must be in a small group in this church. Because that is where we get our strength. That is where we will have the real true unity of the Rock Community Church. We need one another to help fight against the trials that we all will go through to one degree or another. So, next week is a little more upbeat. Next week we're going to talk about who we need to obey. Simple as is the question that Peter asked them when they said, stop preaching in this name. He says, well, whether it's right before you for me to listen to you or God, I'm going to listen to God. That'll be more fun. Let's pray. Father, please open up our eyes and our hearts to this message. I know that there are some of us here that are going through difficulties. And, and Father, it's, uh, it's tough sometimes. It seems so burdensome it takes away so much energy and I think that's when you told us to come to you and let you carry our load and carry our, our trials and our burdens you're strong enough you can handle them and so Father for those of us that can we, we give to you what it is that we're going through that just is beating us up recognizing at least from my point of view that I might lift it up again sometime later this afternoon I just pray you have patience with me, kindness with me, Father, and uh, that, um, that you'll give all of us the confidence to go through whatever it is that we're going through. Now, Father, bless us as we go from here. Bless each and every person, every family. Thank you for every single person. And I pray your blessings upon us and you'll bring us back again next week, Father, that we might worship you again and learn more from your most glorious words. We pray in Jesus precious name. Amen. I love you all so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening so intently.